Hey guys, welcome back to the Generation Alpha podcast as we strive to bring you the ultimate in human performance each and every episode. Thank you guys for always tuning in and listening to what we have available, and I hope you guys are enjoying the podcast as much as I enjoy making it. On this week's episode, I sit down with a friend and IFBB professional bodybuilder all the way from Nigeria. Mark moved to the United States at only 22 years of age from Nigeria to pursue bigger dreams and to create more opportunity for himself. Mark is a very unique individual and provides unique perspective into training, fitness, lifestyle, and also racial injustice issues in America today. I hope you guys enjoy this episode as much as me and Mark enjoyed talking and making it for you guys. Before we get started with that, just a few words from this week's sponsors. Nutra 8020 is a meal prep delivery service in the Houston and around the Houston area. Nutra 8020 delivers high-quality meals to your doorstep, taking hard part out of achieving your goals. You're able to select custom meals or chef-inspired designer meals. As an option, they provide free nutrition slash fitness consultations. The consultations will provide the tools and advice to follow a specific meal plan to meet your dietary needs. To learn more, go to Nutra8020.com and get started today. Are you looking for the ultimate supplement store that brings you the best deals on high-quality supplements? Then look no farther than Total Nutrition. Based out of the Houston area, Total Nutrition delivers supplements all around the country straight to your doorstep. If you're looking to get some great supplements at great prices, then look no farther. Go to TotalNutrition.com to learn what they have available and text subscribe to 1-833-733-0252 to get your VIP 5% discount. If you find a better price, they'll match it. That's all for our sponsors from this week, guys. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe and also leave a rating and review below and let us know if we can improve one. Thank you guys so much and hope you guys enjoy this great episode. Take care, guys. Hey guys, welcome back to the Generation Alpha podcast. I'm your host, Dan Fazio, and we are back here again today for a very special episode. As you guys know, for the month of February, I'm only having Black speakers on to celebrate Black History Month. And today I have one of my good friends, Mark Omezi, who is a a great guy, and I'm super excited to have him (laughs) on this show. Um, So... Mark is an IFBB professional bodybuilder who is a true testament to the idea of the American dream. Like many others in this industry before him, including guys like Franco Colombo and Arnold Schwarzenegger, Mark also started his journey as an immigrant. Originally from Nigeria, Mark decided to voyage a journey to America to pursue bigger dreams at only 22 years of age. Mark is a veteran of the United States Navy Reserves, where he served for almost three years. Later, he would go on to realize his true passion, which would result in him becoming a vital new piece to the health and fitness industry. Mark is a multiple-time NPC champion in the amateur division, where he also earned two top two placings at the 2020 Masters Nationals, earning him his pro card. 
Mark now sets his eyes on his pro debut, hoping one day to be on the Mr. Olympia stage to compete for the ultimate title. He has developed a passion for training, as well as creating many of his own varied movements and techniques, while focusing on making sure his clients receive the very best from him. Mark has never forgotten where he started, though, still celebrating and honoring his Nigerian culture and background, but also always remembering where he's headed. Like me, Mark does not consider himself a game changer, but simply a man set on delivering the very best to everyone around him each and every day. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it very much. Yeah, man. It's truly an honor, man. Truly an honor. Well, you know, I'm, I'm super excited to, to bring you on because I, I, I got to be careful like bringing bodybuilders on there because I could just bring bodybuilders like, <laughs> and like never have anybody else on. Everybody just, yeah, I would lose a lot of my audience. So I gotta, <laughs> I gotta space them out. You know what I mean? I gotta bring on one at a time. So um, <laughs> that's fine. I mean, yeah, I, I'm, I'm hoping I'm, I'm hoping I'm one of those bodybuilders with a twist. You, you, no, you definitely, you definitely are like, you're a unique individual for sure. I mean, I, I think like I knew immediately the first time I met you, I was like, like this, you can just tell like, you're just, you're just different. You have a different personality. Um, you're just really laid back, really cool guy, uh, really chill. And, and, and I mean, I think you're just like, you're also like so perceptive to just like everything around you. And you're not like one of those guys that's like in the industry. There's like so many of those guys in the industry is like just think they know everything, already think they know all this and all that. Like you're just like always asking questions, like always interested in things. Like you're just like, you know, that, that, I love that kind of attitude. And that's like the kind of people that I like to have on the show. So I mean, for me, it's it's always been it's always been a a, a thing where, you know, I, I just I want to constantly learn. You know, if I'm not learning, then then I'm, I'm dying pretty much, you know? Um, uh, so just, I don't, I don't believe in that whole mindset where, you know, um, you think you know everything. At that point, there's no point to improve. There's no reason for you to improve, you know? Right, right. There's no reason for you to get better, okay? Because you're here and you think you know everything, you know? So I'm, I'm the complete opposite. Like I, I still, I, I learn from people that you would not even imagine that you know i could be looking at right so it's you know it's it's just i feel like people need to um to embrace that side of them you know where constantly asking questions constantly being curious about you know how things work right you know and it just i think that makes us uh uh more intelligent than than we were before you know sorry again answers 100 percent. no I, I you know i think it's one reason like um you know, why I wanted to do this thing. Cause I, it, when, when February came around, like I didn't even, it wasn't really like, it didn't start as my idea. It was like, oh, okay. For the month of February on the podcast, I'm only having black speakers on. Like that, that wasn't, it that wasn't like the first thing that came to mind. It just, it literally just happened. Cause like one of my friends who I worked with was on last week and mm-hmm. we kind of just got into this topic of conversation, like talking about some things like him growing up, his culture in Detroit and all this stuff. And so I, I, um, just we talked about that like later and I was like you know I was like I, I feel like for like this month like I'm just gonna have like everybody on who's like kind of grown up who's like a become a leader in their community like is a good example to the black community and, and feel like you can kind of bridge that gap right because I feel like I'm always someone's like always been interested in like other cultures and mm-hmm. like a lot of people are afraid of culture right like, I'm <laughs> always someone that's like been like super interested in like other people's cultures other people's ideas other people's thoughts and I'm always interested in like have people on too that like I feel like I know, but then I, you know, I, I get them on here. I start interviewing them 
And then I learned, like, I know like 20% about them. You know what I mean? So it's like, yep. that's, that's, that's for me. It's like, why it's so hard to do this. So like, um, and I was like, you know, I was thinking about it. I was like, man, I, was like, I, was like, I gotta have Mark on the show. Like he's, he's an interesting dude. He, he meets the bodybuilding criteria. So I can ask him bodybuilding <laughs> questions and uh, you know, it's just, it's going to work. It's going to be good. So we got a lot of great speakers lined up this month and you being one of them. So I'm, I'm extremely, I'm extremely, extremely honored to be a part of it, man. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, hey, tell my story. Hopefully it can inspire people to, uh, to, to you know, to do whatever they believe in, you know, whatever right. they dream of. Um, I didn't start out thinking, you know, oh, I'm going to be a bodybuilder one day, you know. Right. Um, that was never it. Um, you know, it, it just so happened that I found my passion in, in that field. Um, mm -hmm. I, like to t I like to tell that story um, about my, my dad, you know, who always used to tell me, like, you need to be careful about sugar. You need to be careful about sugar and stuff, you know, like it was diabetic. Um, okay. Okay. And so uh, I, growing up, I had no idea what that was about, you know, I was just, <laughs> ah, yeah, yeah, I'd shove everything down my mouth, you know, like uh, eat everything. And this guy would just go nuts. Just okay. like, you need to be careful with the things you put in your body. So um, um, after he passed, I, I had like, I had like a, a moment where I, I said, you know, I, I need to be better. Um, and I uh, started, you know, fixing my nutrition, fixing, you know, my diet, but I wasn't perfect anyways. Um, and then I had a, I had a visit to the doctor one time. I did my A1C, all of that good stuff. And then it came back um, saying that I was pre-diabetic, you know, and yeah. boom. And so I think that was the wake up call that I needed. And so I started changing my whole lifestyle, you know, in order for me not to end up diabetic. And in that, I found my passion. In that, you know, I, I realized I didn't want to, I didn't want to do anything um, in the line of what I studied in college, finance, um, working in corporate America. For, I worked in corporate America for a while. It just wasn't it for me, you know? Mm -hmm. And when that ended, I figured, you know what, this will be the this will be the time for me to start building a legacy and something that I'm passionate about, which is fitness. Right. Right, right. And so I'm hoping I'm hoping that my story will be able to uh, encourage people, you know, who or who find themselves in that boat, who find themselves in that boat to be able to take that leap and believe that anything is possible because. Not in my wildest dreams that I think I was going to end up an IBB pro. <laughs> I mean, heck, I didn't even know what an IBB pro was at the time. Right, right, right. I was just, I was just doing it because I was passionate about it. You know. Wait, so, so tell me a little bit about like where you started physique wise. Were you like a skinny kid, or were you a fat kid, or what? What was the? What's uh, the, the mo there? Was the, were you the skinny kid with abs growing up? Um, I think growing up, I was, I was a little bit of. I was a little bit skinny, right? Yeah. I, I was always kind of thick. No, I wouldn't yeah. say skinny. Okay. I was always okay. kind of thick. And um, I did a little bit of media modeling back when I was in Nigeria. So obviously I was in good shape. I see. Right? I see. Yeah. And then when I came over here, the food just made me go. Pfft. I just went. <laughs> I think I went from. A, yeah. I think I went from 177 pounds to. I want to say 200 and uh, 225 pounds in six months. Wow. 
Oh, yeah. Wow. yeah, I was eating everything, man, bro. Like I was eating burgers. I, I remember, like I wake up at night, I go to Taco Bell. I remember I had like uh, a Southwest steak bowl because these were things that I was not used to, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> so I was just like, hey, so I could wake up yeah. at night and go eat a burger. I could wake up right. at night to go, you know, to, to a drive-through. You serious? Okay, cool. Bet. In six months, man, fifty something pounds. I was like, yo, <laughs> this has got to stop. And oh, no, I never went back from there. I haven't haven't seen a hundred pounds, a hundred and something pounds since then. <laughs> there's there's something though. There's something about like uh, genetics though when it comes to the guys from Nigeria because there's a lot of Nigerian bodybuilders who are like really good. Like mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw the Last Generation Iron documentary. I, I'm not even a fan of Generation Iron the company, but. I did watch the last one movie and they, and they I, I'm pretty sure one of the countries they were over in was um, Nigeria and they were they were looking at these kids who were literally over there like lifting um, like 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 pots right yeah and, like doing bicep yeah. curls with like pots making their own barn and these mm-hmm. dudes are like they like no one would believe if this guy said he was natural people would be like but like yeah. they do they live in they like they live in like like clay like they're not like mm-hmm. you know what I mean they live in like clay mud they're not like you know they have no access to anything like they don't even have access to creatine you know what I mean so it's like to the, for these guys to create the physiques they have like there has to be some genetic factor there that that is like that is pretty pretty superior especially like you like I don't know like if people I'm gonna post some pictures of you just so people can see it but like you have a crazy physique like I remember like when when I walked in when the first time I met Mark I'm working I come to work actually to work on his our mutual friend Justin for the Masters National Show I don't even know that Mark's gonna be there I walk in the hotel room and 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 Justin our mutual friend says he goes oh he's I want you to meet Mark he's he's like yeah you can work on Mark too I want you you know we can set this whole thing up and and mark takes off his jacket he like he doesn't really look that like i can't really tell like because he has like the you know like a, a jacket on like sweatpants and he takes off his jacket for me to like start working on his back and i'm just like i'm like holy shit like that's the first thought that came to my mind like this dude is so round like you guys have no idea like his muscle bellies are like insane especially like i mean like and you're not like considered to be like like you're for your age, like you're not considered to even be like in your prime. Like you started bodybuilding almost like Very past late. what's considered to be like the prime. And like yeah. for you to start that late and then have this look at this age is like, that's insane. Like most people <laughs> can't do that, man. Like you realize that, like that's, that's unique. That's a unique uh, factor to you for sure. I'm, th- I'm thankful. I'm thankful for, I'm thankful to my parents, I guess. Um, when it comes down to it, you know, genetics, um, genetics, it does play a huge factor. Um, and yes, you're right. A lot of, um, a lot from where I come from, Nigeria, um, I'd say it's a lot like New York, you know, Lagos, where I, where I grew up, it's a lot like New York, um, just like a hustle and, you know, things are going really fast and things, you know? So yeah, there are places where you have access to gyms, you know, Mm -hmm. but um, there's also that middle ground where you don't really have access to gym. So sure, you kind of yeah. have to like, you know, create something out of nothing. Say, um, I remember we'd have I, well, buckets where we would like pour cement in it and just, you know, kind of put some iron rods in between and boom, we created a uh, 50 pound, oh, when I say, is that 50 pounds or 50 kgs on each side, you okay. know? 
And so like that was that was huge. And then we'd like just construct say a bench or something where we could lift. Um, you just improvise stuff, you know. Yeah. So I mean, I come from a culture where we've had we had to make do with what we had, right? You know, in order to get to where we were, uh, to, to where we wanted to be. Uh, for me, I started doing that early. When I wasn't very passionate about it, I have to be I very see. honest, you know? I, know, I wasn't, I wasn't really into it. I was more so just, Hey, I just want, I just want to hang out with the boys. I want to do this. I want to <laughs> yeah. do that. You know, no, I yeah, really I, didn't I care there. much about it. I was it. there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I didn't really care much about it, but um, I mean, here we are. And for me, when I, I, I literally started bodybuilding, I think, I think 2018, I was, I've been into fitness longer than that, but bodybuilding in 2018, where I met my coaches and, um, you know, they just looked at me like, are you serious? Like, you, why haven't you been doing this this whole time? I just wasn't <laughs> interested in it, you know, oh, until yeah. this one guy had walked, yeah. walked up to me at the gym and said, you, you meet, you need to go meet up with this guy, coach Hassan. And, you know, which I did and boom, that's how the whole thing started. So I'm really, really thankful. I'm really, really thankful for, you know, how I got into the industry, how I got my start. I'm thankful for the people that I had, you know, to look up to because that also played a major part. You know, they allowed me, um, they, they took advantage of my genetic potential, like none other. And that's, um, you know, also down to the fact that I wasn't so keen on just jumping from one person to the other. You know, I just stayed, I, I found the people I wanted. I knew that these guys had my back right? and I just stayed right there. So, um, you know, again, starting when I did, when most people are, are already retiring, I feel like this is just, you know, the ceiling, this is just the start. Like the ceiling is, a lot you're the, higher. You're the, you're the Kurt Warner of bodybuilding. That's the title. That's gonna be the title of uh, the video. <laughs> so I just, I mean, I'm excited about what you know, what the future holds in that regard, and I can't. I mean, I can't wait to see. I'm, I'm, I'm in a, uh, improvement season number two or three right now. Yeah. So I'm really excited to see what that's gonna be like after I come up my fat boy season. <laughs> <laughs> so all right so let's talk a little bit about you uh because you lived in nigeria until you were 22 years old yeah that's a long it's a long time so let's kind of talk about the, the the culture difference um over there compared to here and then just you know kind of talk about you know what what was it like was it something specific or was it just something in general like what caused you to want to uh, make the change to uh you know, come over here because you came over here by yourself, right? I mean, like, yeah, you know, mm -hmm, that's, I mean, mm -hmm. that's big. I mean, like, most people can't, I mean, most people can't move across the country by themselves. <laughs> you moved across the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's, that's big, man. Like, that's, that's, that's like, most people can't do that. So, yeah, talk a little bit about that. I just wanted more, you know, I wanted more. I was new. I always knew I wanted more, um, you know. I mean, just growing up, seeing certain things. Okay. I just, I knew there was more out there for me. All right. Um, a lot of people out there were, you know, thought I was crazy, but I really, I really saw something else uh, beyond what most other people wanted to see at the time. 
Um, I was going. I was going to. I was going to uh, stay in England for uh, you know um, go go to England and just. You know, um, I wanted more. You cut out for just just a second there. So I wanted to, I wanted to, uh, I I had many uh, options in my head. I was thinking England, just, you know, do I want, do I want that? Do I want the U.S.? I was like, okay, you know what? I think I'd rather, I'd rather do the U.S., you know, because again, the freedoms and everything that I've come to appreciate, you know, the opportunities that I've come to learn about, I figured, you know what, I think this would be a better fit for me, you know? So um, I spoke to my parents about it and they were supportive, you know, very supportive and said, you know, just, you know, go out there, spoke to my friends, also very supportive. They, you know, I remember one of them specifically said he wanted me to, make noise so loud when i'm when i come over here he wanted me to make noise so loud he'd be able to hear it from nigeria (laughs) and that was significant for me you know because he you know it was like he wanted me to come over here and be impactful right you know um and that never left my head around my friend yinka yinkoni he's in the uh he's in the uk um a doctor right now i'll never forget that statement you know, um, I want you to, I want you to, when you go over there, I want you to make an impact so loud that I can hear it from over here. So I hope I'm making that impact. I hope I'm on my way to making that impact right now, because, you know, it's always been a driving force for me. Mm-hmm. Just wanting more for myself, you know, um, living conditions obviously were not, are not the same, you know, um, <clears throat> the poverty rate is, you know, definitely definitely um something that would drive you to wanting to be better you know um so that was really it for me but culture wise it was beautiful i grew up you know around amazing people family friends um those experiences really really shaped the man that i've become today you know and i would not trade that i would not trade that for anything in the world i miss it but hey, I I also don't regret the fact that I moved on to better things to um, you know in order to uh, give 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 myself a fighting chance, right. you know, um, in life. So yeah, that's pretty much it. Right. I just wanted yeah. more. I just wanted yeah, better. Yeah. No, that's cool. I like that. Um, you, you know, uh, talk about sort of like when you got over here. Like, what were your thoughts? <laughs> um, you know, like what? What did you? What did you like? What did you? What did you want from you know? Um, you know, when you first got here, and and what led you? I would guess into joining the Navy and uh, getting involved in the United States military. I mean, like that's 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 pretty unique, man. Like most people, like it, it you know, most people who move over here, they're just like moving here for a better job. Like you went over to a different country and enlisted in their military. Like that is. That that's like that's like that's a unique story. Like, that's not that you don't find that a lot, right? I mean, like sometimes like you'll you see people who move over from different countries, like their parents bring them over here when they're little kids, and then they kind of grow up in the United States, and they're like maybe later down the line they're like, oh, you know, I'm gonna join the you know I'm gonna join the military or whatever. But like, how do you get over here by yourself and go, you know, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna I'm gonna join the Navy? I mean, 
Where does, where does that come from? So, okay, maybe I'm crazy, but I, I did leave a country all by myself in a totally different continent, crossed the Atlantic and came over here. So I, there's, a, there's a strand of crazy in there, there right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so when I did, when I was so okay, when I did come over here first, it was rough, you know? Um, especially the fact that I came to Houston, had no idea what I was doing, where I was, um, totally different culture, totally different weather, everything. And it was hard for me to Move adjust from at Africa first. Africa to Texas. That's like. <laughs> in the, win- in the winter too. You couldn't get more opposite than that. In the winter too. In the winter too. You moved to the wild Bro, west, dude. I'm like, yo, what? in god's name is this like it was cold <laughs> bro like yeah in january i was just freezing i'm like what am i doing here i remember i called my brother i'm like bro i'm coming back he's like no you're not you yeah. know like sit your ass over there and make make it work okay um you know and that's what i try to do um i came here for school so you know somewhere 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 along the line i figured hey i just wanted again Call, call it maybe a, a quest for adventure, if you will. Okay. Um, I wanted, hey, if I could get help with school, you know, and at the same time travel, you know, you know, go places I've never been before, then heck, I'll take that opportunity. Because I had a few friends who were whispering in my ears, then like, maybe you should try this, you know, like the benefits outweigh the, you know, outweigh everything else. So maybe you should try it. And I'm like, hmm. And I think, I, wanna, I can't remember exactly when, but yeah, it was just, it was one of those times when people were getting, you know, getting um, sent to Afghanistan and everything. And I was thinking to myself, I'm like, oh, wait, wait, wait. I don't know if I want to go just yet, but um, <laughs> you know what? I'm going to just give it a shot. If I go, I go. I didn't, I didn't end up going, but I said, if I go, I go. But honestly, it was more so the benefits tied to the fact that I could, travel the world, do a lot of things, see a lot right. of things, you know, while serving the country, gotcha. you know, that really, that really drove my decision to do that. And I know, I remember I told my mom about it and she was like, huh? You <laughs> <laughs> said, what? And I said, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm doing it. Yeah. And she just like reluctantly agreed to it. Um, so, well, if you know what you're doing, then that's cool. And I mean, the rest is history, but um that also, I think, really gave me a foundation of fitness. A boot right, camp? Yeah. Oh, my days was just something else. <laughs> you know, boot camp was, how do I say this, man? It was just, I remember where, the shock, the shock when I first got to boot camp. The shock was just on another level. Mm. You know, like, I thought, I'd heard so much about it, but man, the drills and everything. Mm-hmm. It was just crazy. And if, if, if one person in the room fucked up, like everybody was going to get it, you right. know? Yeah. And imagine I was in a division with 88 guys in there. Wow. And so there was one person who was bound to fuck up. Yeah. So I went in, I went in at say two, 223 pounds or something. And by the time I got done with boot camp, which was eight weeks, I think. By the time I got done with boot camp, I was down to like 203. You're right. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, those experiences by itself, I still use some of those drills, you know, right now when I train my clients, Right. <laughs> you know, right. they just look at me and think, what are you doing? That 
I still use some of those things that I learned in the military, you know, in order to change people's lives as, you know, as of this day. Yeah. So it, it, for me, it, it was a win-win. Um, the whole experience for me, I would not trade it for a thing. There's something about military-minded individuals, too, that they somehow a lot of times get involved and wrapped in the bodybuilding uh, industry because there is a level of discipline, I think, that is just instilled into people who join the military. Uh-huh. And, and it's like, I think sometimes for people like, you know, as I know, like, you know, prepping for a contest, getting ready for a show, dieting for a show is one of the hardest things mentally you will ever yeah. do if you're doing mm-hmm. it the right way. The right way, yeah. And I, I think sometimes you get these guys who, like you or like yourself, who were in the military, you know, doing this and doing that. Um, you know, there's been guys who have even, who have even gone through BUDS who, um, you know, completed BUDS training and all that stuff. You didn't get, you know, didn't get, you know, a Navy SEAL representation, decided mm-hmm. to do bodybuilding. But it's like, those things are like on such a different level mentally. It's like, by the time you start doing bodybuilding and you get ready for a show, it's like, it's not that much of a shock to your system, right? Because it's no. like, you already have that mindset. You already have that discipline that's created that most people have to, de- have to develop, right? Like I had, a de- yep. I had to develop this mindset and people ask me now because they know me now and they see me today and they're like they always ask me like if i was in the military and i'm like because i'm a very disciplined person now mm-hmm. but like i'm like i'm like if you would have seen me like just just four years ago like i was not even close to this person that i am now i was like bodybuilding changed my mindset drastically mm. so I, I think there's something there to that mindset um you know i, I want you to talk a little bit about you know how uh, that specific training, you know, changed your ability to think in certain situations, how it affected your control over your, ner- you know, nervous, mu- you know, muscular system. So your entire nervous system, how you're able to go from stressful situations and, and just drop it back down to being not stressed. Because I think it's something that the military can really teach you that other things can't. So um, what, are, what are some key things that you think you learned that really changed you as a person? going through training in the military. So remember how I said, you're in a division full of 88 people. Right. And um, if one person fucked up, the whole division will get it, right? Right. So I think honestly, I, the ability to switch things on and off, you know, in an instant yeah. was developed, you know, in that, in that regard. Um, you'd be sitting in the, in the, in the division and just, you know, in, in, in the ship and everything and just like, okay, um, just doing your thing and somebody does something stupid and right. one of the officers just comes in, the petty officer just comes in and sees it and boom, right there and then, right? So I'm chilling, right? I'm just like having a good day, not stressing about anything and boom, somebody does something, you know, next to me and the whole division is going to get punished, right? Right. And so that whole mindset of being able to switch from that chill mode into kill mode was developed at that point. I see. Because I had to. It was. It was. It was. A, it was a survival instinct that kicked in, yeah. right? Because if I had, if I, if I didn't do that, then I was going to run into problems, right? Yeah. Um. So yeah, I being able to turn things on you know, on the fly, like, okay, boom, let, let's go, let's, let's do it right away. Um, 
people people who had seen me in competition mode and seeing me outside of competition mode always say it's a huge shock to them how I can go from that guy to this goofy, really playful guy in a gym who's dancing and doing all of these things. When I'm in prep mode, I'm in kill mode. That's my kill mode. That's my, I'm taking headshots mode, right? I'm not, I'm not in it to play. Like you, you come in sometimes, you think I have beef with you because I'm that focused. I'm just right. looking, I'm looking past you. I'm not looking at you. Right. You know, but when you, if you're in my way, you also, you start thinking, oh man, maybe he has something against me. I don't. Right. It's just at that point, I'm just really focused yeah. on taking heads. That's it. Right. You know, but then when I don't have that, that, uh, what you call it, that, uh, that drive, you know, to, to prepare for something, I'm, I'm the chillest guy in the world. So right. again, it goes back to, it go, kind of goes back to, well, what I told you about being able to switch things on on the fly, yeah. right? Um, also, as far as discipline, focus. You know, we had we had drills where it was all about focus, right? Um, the battle station and things like that. Being able to cope in very stressful situations, right? We had like major drills at boot camp where it was just you had to. That was everything that we were doing was just really geared towards battle station, right? Geared towards that really one last stressful situation. Yeah. Learn how, learning how to swim. I learned how to swim in the Navy. I'm not very wow. good at it right now, but, you know, I learned, you know, the, the little stuff that I know in the Navy. And that was all geared towards, you know, battle station, a very stressful situation. I'm not going to go into details of that because I'm not supposed to. Um, but... Yeah, that focus, that discipline, that dedication. Because you know, if you if you slack off, somebody else's life is in your hands. You know, not just yours. You know, if you're the weak link, you could jeopardize the whole mission. You know, so for me, when I'm plugged in to you know contest prep and everything, the moments that I find myself the weakest. I have to remind myself that, hey, there's a reason why I'm doing this. Everything that I'm doing right now is leading up to, you know, a finale, if you will, right. you know? And so many a times I've drawn, I've drawn um, examples from my days in the Navy in order, for, to, in order for me to get past certain situations, you know, um, in my contest prep. Right. You know, difficult as it may say, it may be, those uh, foundations that were laid in me in the military will always come through for me. You know, will always, always come through for me. Like there's times when I just wake up at night and you know what? I'm just, I just want a bowl of cereal. I just want a bowl of cereal, you know, because my body's just craving <laughs> food at that point. Right? right. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just like, yo, I need something right this moment. Right. But then again, I think about it like, okay, okay, okay. You need to relax. Take a second. Breathe. Right. Right. Take a second. Breathe. And then what do you really want? This bowl of cereal or do you really want to win? Ooh, yeah. Do you really want to win? If, 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 if this bowl of cereal was the one thing that was going to keep you from winning, what would you do? And, you know, I, I, I'll go back to my 2019 um, try um in national nationals um i remember 
I was addicted to eating peanuts at that point. <laughs> right? I was right. so okay. addicted to peanuts, okay. right? Not it's peanut not butter, like, just peanuts know, themselves. Just peanuts. Peanut butter, <laughs> peanuts, whatever. Okay. I was just All so right. addicted to those things, right? <laughs> and right. I'm telling to myself. And so there was one, this one time when I was like, you know what? If I took my carbs out, if I did this, if I did that, took my carbs out and do X, Y, Z, maybe I might, you know, maybe I, I, I still might keep that look and go for the win. It didn't work. You know, I deviated from a plan that I was see. set and it showed. I see. Right. So guess what? I learned from that mistake. Right. I learned from that mistake. And going forward, I was like, nah, it's not going to work. I'm not going to have peanut butter. I'm not going to have peanuts during prep. It's just not going to work. Hard as it was, I just said, you know what? I want to win more than I want peanut butter. I, yeah, I get it. <laughs> you know? So I, again, I had to draw, I had to draw um, a lot of strength from my time in the military, that focus, that dedication, discipline. You know, I really had to like go back to it and say, okay, you know what? This are the things that ground me the most to help me get to where I need to be. Right. You know, so it's less, a ton of examples, bro. I just... I'm I'm blessed to have had that kind of background, you know, you know, especially doing what I do now. I like that. Yeah, I mean, I I I think like two people like people are like who may be listening to this or like sitting there thinking like like what They're like just not to eat peanut butter you to draw this like you don't understand like trust me like try dieting for a show one time in your life and like it's the little things that you think that like wouldn't bother you that like when you're getting into those last few weeks you're just like you know um it, it, it it's just good it's just something that just drives you nuts i always say if you're not having nightmares about cheating on your diet then you're not doing it right you're not, you're not in shape <laughs> yeah you're not doing I it said. right that's what i tell my clients i said i said i said i want you to i want you to be suffering so bad that you have nightmares about eating chick-fil-a because Bro, I was if you posting. <laughs> in 2019, I remember yeah. like my preps, I was coasting. I was just like, oh, you know what? I'm good. You know, again, relying on, you know, that genetic factor, like, oh, you know, I'm good. I'm going to go in there and just, right. you know, sweep everyone. Mm, yeah, did top fives, did a couple of top twos and everything, but I wanted more than that. I right. Know. And I knew the one thing that was standing between me and where I wanted to be. What's peanuts? Peanut butter. I was like, bro. <laughs> I will because <laughs> like, I'm a big peanut butter fanatic, so I totally get it. Bro, I, yeah, I can't buy it on my diet. So I, I can't, can't do it. Sorry, I'm not going. So this time I was like, and so because I could indulge in those, I allowed myself indulge in those things at that point. Right. I was coasting because I didn't feel like I was suffering. Like if I felt like I got to that point where I started suffering, I couldn't have carbs. Okay, cool. Give me pe- peanuts, right? I start eating those peanuts and I felt good. Because I was satisfying something, right? Boy, last year I said, nah, I put all, and I said, no peanut butter in this house, nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> say no peanuts, nothing. I'm not going to risk it. And sure enough, you know, like five, six, five, six weeks out, I was dying. I wanted peanut butter so bad. I'll go to HEB, I'll go to the store, Walmart. I'm looking at like, no, that's the peanut butter. That's the out that I, I don't need to be around. And I turn right around. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, like, yeah, I, I was. 
I get it. I started suffering and I'm like, okay, I think this is what they meant by uh, if you're not suffering then you're not, you're not on the right path. And sure enough, right. It paid off. I, I think, I think we all have that as like that moment as competitors, right? It's like we all have those moments in like our first couple of shows. Like for me, it was definitely my first show. I was just like, same deal. Like I was like, I'm just going to, you know, I knew I had good structure. I knew I had good mm-hmm. shape. Um, you know, and I just thought like, you know, I just didn't know what I had to do to get in the shape that I needed to be in. Right. And I'm like, I thought I was like dieting hard, but like, it, dude, I wasn't even close. Like, I, I, you know what I mean? Like you get in that moment and you're like, you're like, Oh, I'm dieting. And then you see a guy like, I'm I placed, you know, I placed top three, uh, like in the whole like open division. And then, um, I placed top two in my class. But like, you know, it's disappointing when you get that because you, you don't think you're going to get top. Like you think you're going to win. Like my idea was, mm-hmm. like, no, I'm yeah. fucking winning this show. Like, yeah, like, that's yeah, my idea. Yeah. And like I see this guy backstage, he takes his jacket off. Like he's, his face is like, <laughs> sucked down to nothing. I'm like, oh, this guy's, this guy's small, right? Like he's not, he's like, he takes off his jacket and you could literally see like this dude's spine going down his back. Everything. So I'm like, what in the world is that like? He wasn't even that big, but it was like the fact that he was so shredded and he probably should so not have even won the show if he wasn't like if anybody else was as conditioned as him or better, they would have won because like his shape was like honestly it was terrible. But like he was the only he was the only guy in the show that was in shape. He was it. That's it. So they're like the judges are like, we have to give it to him. Like, you know what I mean? Like they're waiting, they're sitting there waiting, they're like, we're just you know, they're thinking that somebody like me is gonna come in shape, they're thinking like somebody else is gonna come in shape. And then, this guy comes in shape. He's the only one in shape. And they're like, well, you know, this, I mean, like, we cannot, we can't not give this guy first place. Like, exactly. He looks the best. So I feel like, <laughs> like, and then like after that, like after that, dude, I was like, I'm, I'm, I don't care what you know, goes on next. Pre- I'm going to kill myself to get shredded. And then like, <laughs> next thing I know, like third, third contest prep in, like, you know, I mean, like you've seen some of my pictures from my last show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, like, I mean, yeah, like uh, it, it was, I always say like, I'm kind of like, I'm kind of, I've developed this mindset too, where I'm kind of like insane now. And I'm sure like you have as well, but like, I feel like a lot of us get into this mindset eventually down the road later as competitors is like, we almost develop like this insane mindset of like, we, you almost get addicted. And this is going to sound weird as fuck, but like, I'm just going to say anyways, you almost get addicted to suffering. Like you almost get addicted to the feeling. Cause it's like, it's like this gratification feeling. It's like, it feels awful, but like there's something about knowing how hard you're dieting. That's almost gratifying to you that like, mm-hmm. I have to tell, I have to have someone around me now to tell me to, sh- to when to shut it off. Like that. It's so bad. You know what I mean? I just have somebody around me to be like, you're doing too much. You need to cut back a little bit. Or else you're going to come in looking like a stick, you know? So I'm like, to me, like, that's my mindset now, but like, I totally understand the peanut butter thing. It's why I'm laughing so hard because like, that's my biggest weakness. That's my biggest weakness. But, um, okay. So I want to talk about a little bit. I want you to get into, you know, where did the passion come for starting to train and, and, and when did that transfer? When did that switch from being like, okay, I'm just, you know, working out, I'm lifting weights, I'm looking good, I'm liking how I'm feeling to, you know what, I think I'm going to jump in, I think I'm going to do my first show. Like, where did, where did the, where did the line cross? Where did it switch? And, and where did your passion develop to get working out? Did it start in the military? Or was it just something that kind of just came to you later? I, I think, I think, I think it all started in the military. I bet it's, it, that sparked it for me. Because uh, 
I remember I'd go to the gym when I went to A school and everything. I'd be at the gym like the whole time and just, you know, working out. But when, then when I left the Navy, um, came back to civilian life and everything, um, I kind of slacked off a little bit and got, uh, so, so my doctor got that um, feedback from him that I needed to change my ways and everything. And I changed to YA, started training, um, just going to the gym. I remember it was this gym called Fitness Connection, and um, that was my start. I remember I, I record my, my videos. I'm always recording myself, you know, not because I just want to see myself train, but because I always want to critique my movements and right, everything. Right, right. And some of these things that I'll just go back, like I go into my Snapchat and it's saved from 2016. I see it at 2015. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, Mark, what were you doing? You know, yeah. like it's right. just a lot of those right there. But I'm glad that I have them because I can look back at them now and, you know, as things not to do um, in terms of movements, you know. But it's, I mean, um, so at Fitness Connection, I remember one of those days, this one guy, Mike, um, Mike, uh, his Kenyan, a very, very good friend of mine, he had seen me one of those days and he was like, do you, do you compete? I said, um, no. He goes, why don't you compete? Like, why are you not competing? I said, I really don't care much about it. He goes, nah, man, you, you need to, like, there's a guy that I know, um, you need to go see him. He is amazing i'm like who's this guy funny story my coach right now troy troy williams is an ivb pro as well yeah good guy great guy so he's like he had always he worked out at the same gym you know okay. he'd always see me and he goes like you need to you know you need, you need to you know come train with me okay and i'm like man i, I think i got this don't worry about this i don't want to compete and so i just blow it off and everything right yeah. And so I went to, uh, eventually when Mike told me to go see this other guy called Coach Hassan, I did. So I'm like, okay, let me see what this shit is about anyways. I mean, you, whatever. So I go over there and I see Hassan. Hassan looks at me. He goes like, he looks at my whole body. He's like, hmm. he doesn't talk too much, right? He goes, hmm. he got potential, you know, but we need to work on a few is, things. They're like legit. You know what I mean? He by name is like, they're like hardcore people. Like, yo, <laughs> yo, don't get more hardcore than that. So he looks at me like, yeah, you got potential. He shook his head like, you know, Mr. Miyagi type stuff. Like, right. Okay. And I'm like, oh, okay, so what's the deal? Am I going to jump on stage next day? He goes, no, nah, we've got about a year of work to do on you before you even think about getting on stage. This is like 2017, right? And I'm like, okay, when are we going to do this? He's like, you need to improve on X, Y, Z. And I'm like, okay, cool. So we didn't talk again. I think this was June 2017. We didn't, say, we didn't speak much until December when I was like, okay, so what's the deal? He goes, okay, I want you to meet someone. Sure enough. It's Troy. Okay. You know, I'm like, oh, this guy. Ah. So, and like, hey, I've been telling you to come train with me, yada, yada, yada. So I was like, oh, okay, finally. So February the 16th, 2018, I joined my team. And, you know, um, at that point, I was, I was like, I'm, let me see what my body can do. You know, let me see where I can take my body um, as far as competing and everything. I'd never done it. I, it's a, so they say, you need to start off, you know, with like men's physique or something. 
I was like, okay, what's you know, Mr. Did you know Zeke? Anything, so, did you know anything about the sport at this time? Not so much. Not so much. <laughs> it was just, I'd watch okay. it. Like, I, I only knew okay. about open bodybuilding. Okay. I'm not okay. even going to. Okay. I knew okay. about open okay. bodybuilding, you right. know, and all of that good stuff. But as far as, like, classic and men's physique, I wasn't very, I was I was about the big dogs, you know, like. I see. I see. As far as, like, opens and men, um, classic physique and men's physique, I was like, mm, I wasn't really in tune with it. Do you have any and posters so, or any? You have any posters or pictures of people that you were like Arnold, 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 and Ronnie, okay. Arnold and Ronnie, definitely. Okay. Um, so I was like, okay, so eventually, it was, so in 2017, Coach Hassan said, "Oh, we need to start you off in men's physique." I was like, "Men's physique? Okay, cool. Let me see what it's about." Oh, okay, board shorts. I can do that. But he's like, eventually, you're gonna have to end up in classic, but we'll get you there. Okay, and. You know, sure enough, I did my first few shows in Man's Physique. I remember my last show in 2019. You know, I won a couple of shows locally um, um, in the regional levels and then did my nationals in 2019. I came off a national stage. I missed my pro card by just one. Right. And Coach Hassan looks at me backstage and he goes, nah, nah, bro. Like, you're going classic next year. And I'm looking at him like, what? Like, I don't know how to pose. I don't know how to do anything. Right. How am I going to go classic? Okay. And he goes, now, trust me when I tell you, your whole body is just screaming for classic physique. Okay. And I got my feedback from the judges and everything. And I don't know, I guess at that point, a new hunger just like lit up in me. You know, like, I was like, okay, the, the feedback I got from the judge said, you that I had one of those bodies that can easily transition into bodybuilding. And this is when I was doing men's physique, right? And so that just made that just blew my mind because Coach Asana said that said the same thing. The judges have said the same thing. And I'm like, okay, there's got to be something there. Okay. And at that so the, for the whole of 2019 and 2020, my whole my whole mindset, my whole mindset just shifted from just being one of, you know, just uh a regular athlete to being the best that I could be in bodybuilding, right? And I just said, okay, you know what? I remember talking to one of my friends, Gary. I said, I'm going to go pro in my first classic physique show ever. You know, he's like, well, you know, yeah, you should do this. I'm like, no, I will. I said that to him, man. He was like, I believe in you, you're a hardworking guy, blah, blah, and boom. Show comes in. My, sure enough, my first pro card comes in classic physique. Okay. And my first show ever, and I was just that just that meant more to me than my win. I was there. <laughs> yeah, you saw it, right? I was like, I was just like, it meant so much to me. So I guess that switch in mentality, that that switch, even though I started competing in 2018, that switch in mentality happened for me in 2019 after a couple of shows under my belt. I see. You know, so yeah, I've been working out for a while and everything, but. It was just what what the, the mindset that I have right now, I would say, came about sometime in 2019, September. When I see you working and training with uh, your clients on your IG page, and um, it, it's a it's a different it's a different look than what you're seeing from most trainers. Um, you, you know, I always say that like the number one thing that you don't see people talking about um, when you walk into just any 
pretty much any gym. The only the thing you don't see trainers talking about is they're not talking about consciousness, right? Like there is no conscious communication talk to the client because I think one for one, like most personal trainers don't understand that there's a conscious piece of training. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I see it's different with you when you're working with your people and something that obviously like everyone knows who follows me, like, you know, I always say it's the mind, the mind comes first, right? When we're yeah. starting training, just when you're about to work with me, just forget everything you think, you know, because yes. we're going to change the whole process in which you yes. think you've learned everything. A hundred percent. When I see you working with clients, you're, you're the way that you're manipulating them and, and, and talking to them in between each set and working with them. I can see the focus is entirely on being focused, right? So you're trying to get them not to be unconscious, but to be extremely consciously aware of what they're doing, how they're moving, what they're contracting, and what muscle groups are working. And I think I always say that working out can become one of the most unconscious things you could ever do. Right, because mm-hmm. he's walking the mm-hmm. gym and he's like, "I just forget everything and just like let me just hit these weights and this let me pound this 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 out and this let everything just kind of flow out of my head." And uh, you know, I, I just spoke on a podcast um, last weekend um, for an event for the Super Bowl um, about you know conscious training and you know and how it changes mindset and all that. What what made you passionate about that? Was there someone who instilled that kind of training method into you? Um, was Troy a big part of that? Or, you know, like where, where did you kind of come to terms with like, you know, this, this, this commonality of this training is just not right. And that when I'm training people, I'm focused on them. I'm not going to be focused on just putting them through the motions, but actually making sure that they're achieving what the goal is. So a lot of what I know now, um, especially in, the, in bodybuilding, a lot of what I know now is I, I would attribute it down to my coach, okay. um, uh, Troy. He was he was always like, okay, if you're not feeling the muscle, then you're not really doing much, sure. right? If you're not feeling the muscle, you're not doing much. So let's kind of let's get you away from that place where <clears throat> where you're just lifting weights. I used to just lift weights. I'm naturally strong, so I would lift the heaviest thing that I find. And I'm raw, you know? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it's just, so, but I had to like kind of back away from that power um, idea and move more towards a bodybuilding idea. And in bodybuilding, I, f- I found that um, it's a mind-muscle connection. I'll give you a perfect example. Um, my back in 2019. When the judges, when I came off the stage, the judges said, you need to get wider, you need to get, you know, bigger in the back and everything. And I'd never had a friend, Ben, uh, I have a friend, Ben, who, when we first met each other at um, Fitness Connection, he he used to say, he used to call me the chest master. I love training chest. Like, almost every day was chest day for me. I never used to train my back because, again, I don't see my back, right? So I can't really connect to it as much. Now... When I started bodybuilding and I, you know, got my that feedback that, okay, you need to improve your back. At that point, I kind of had to like relearn everything I knew about training, right? right. And try to start connecting to that back. And I, I kid you not, in one year, one year, my whole back went from here 
to hear. Like it was, it was insane. The changes were insane. At this point, I could really connect to my back muscles. And that's because I, everything else that I thought I knew, I had to throw it all away and just really, really plug into a feeling more so than how heavy do am I going? I could still go heavy, but if I'm not feeling it in my back, then, then, Hey, I'm wasting my time. And so, you know, my coach Troy has, you know, has been fundamental in that, in that regard. I, and also I'm a very, very studious person. Uh, one of another really big influence in my training style, Charles Glass. Okay. Um, as well as this dude called Chris Lewis, Psycho Fitness. Psycho Fitness Lewis. Yeah, I know Chris. Yeah. Yeah. Those two guys for me, I, so Charles is like the manipulative. He like, he will take a movement and really manipulate it and do that. Right. Chris, on the other hand, is he can manipulate stuff, but his old school, intense, exactly. So I've taken those two, those two guys and really merged them you know, to try to create my own style, right. you know, on top of the fact that I also learned a lot of things from my coach. So I've taken those three, those three uh, person, personalities and fitness that I look up to and try to merge them and create something for me. So in, in doing so, my clients also indirectly benefit or directly benefit from it. You know, because now I'm like, no, look, when you train, it's about being there right now, this right. moment, right? Because if you're not there, if you're looking somewhere else, guess what? Your mind is somewhere else. You're right. not feeling that muscle contract, right? right? Like, so I'm always asking, how do you feel? I'm always asking that question. How do you feel? Where did you feel it? And sometimes I'm actually like cueing them. Like I put my hands on the muscle and I'm like, okay, are you feeling this? I have to kind of remind them to say, because for a lot of untrained minds, which I was there at some point, right? Mm -hmm. If you're not giving them that cue, they're not going to feel it. Right. They're not going to connect to it. And so you just go to the gym over and over and over again in four or five years and your body's not changing because you're not connecting to it. Right. You know, so that's the, that's what I try to instill in my, in, in my people. And again, the reason why I try, I try to manipulate things a lot to find what works for me. Right. Find what works for me, because whatever works for you might not work for me. You might have a longer torso, might have a longer reach, you know, it just might not work for you as well as it might work for me. So I try to I try to personalize it and find what works for myself as well as other people. Right. You know, because it's not a one size fits all thing. You know, I'm not going to take credit for saying, oh, I created the role because I didn't do it. But what I will say is, hey, if a, if a role is not hitting me a certain way, I'm going to have to find a way for that role to hit me, you know, in order for me to benefit from that movement. Right. right. And I, I learned that mentality, that mentality from the Chris Lewis's of this world, the Charles Glasses of this world, you know. Right. And for me it changed my whole outlook to bodybuilding. Uh, Justin, Justin calls me the fit engineer. Like he just, I would change things up. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I would literally oh, yeah. just, cool. I'll, I'll look at it. Yeah. I'll look at it. I'll look at a movement and just change it up right there on the spot. Right. You know, and it, it, it's just, it's not because I want to reinvent the wheel, but because I want to get the best out of that movement, right. you know, to fit my own structure, to fit somebody else's structure. 
you know, so that's really it. That's really it. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, you talked about some very key um, major points right there, you know, mental, mental cues being one of the things, um, you know, I, I always, my big thing when I'm training people is telling them what to think about, you know, in the set. And like, that, that's one thing is like, most trainers will never tell you what to think about during the set because mm-hmm. they don't even know what to think about because they're not even really hundred percent for sure what they're doing. Right. So, um, you know, one thing for me when I'm telling people, you know, just, you know, with leg press, for instance, is like, you know, I always tell people don't, don't think about pushing the plate up mm-hmm. at an angle, right? Think about pushing your feet through the plate. And then that changes their whole mind process and what the muscle groups that they're using to try and get that weight up. Because now they're not thinking just about using whatever they can to get the weight up at a vertical motion. Mm-hmm. Um. So let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, bodybuilding in general. I, I want to talk about, you know, like obviously you kind of competed in two different divisions, classic physique division, men's physique division. Um, you started about three years ago. So the men's physique division was, you know, it, it had already kind of evolved into what it's involved, evolved into now, mm-hmm. um, you know, when you started. But I, and when I started, you know, men's physique was – I mean, like, I'm not, and please, no one come for me because this is not a hate on anybody. I have utmost <laughs> respect for all the guys who compete in men's physique. I've competed in men's physique, as you guys have known, in my last show. So this is not, this is not a shot at anybody. <laughs> but the men's physique division that became, like, the very first, you know, preview of what the, what the division was going to look like, I mean, like, it was, it was a joke. I mean, like, it was like these guys like were not even in shape. They were like soft, um, like barely had any, I would say like, I would say probably close to 75 to 80% of the guys who competed were natural um, just because like they were just like genetic, you know, genetic gifts sort of that would get up on the stage and just had a pretty, a pretty look to them, right? They were fitness models, um, men's cover, you know, men's health cover models, Mm -hmm. um, those kind of guys. And uh, you know, obviously that has changed drastically in the past, you know, five years of <laughs> what the men's physique champion looked like prior to now, it is like a whole new game. So I want you to talk a little bit about the men's physique division. I want you to also talk about the classic physique division. What do you think about classic physique? Do you think that it's headed in the right direction? Do you like the, do you, do you like the look that they're trying to go for now? Um, in classic physique compared to what they uh, originally were going for. Cause you know, again, another whole difference, like the guy who won their first classic physique, Mr. Olympia, uh, Danny Hester looks way different than Chris Bumstead does now. Mm-hmm. who is now the two time mm-hmm. champion. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, so what, what are your thoughts on that? What do you like how the two divisions are going or do you feel like they should have maybe kept it more in control? Like, what do you think? No, I, th- I think I think it's headed in the right direction. They're both headed in the right direction. Evolution is a thing that has to, you know, has to keep occurring, right? Right. Somehow, some way, you have to keep getting better. Now, um, with men's physique, I mean, I look at Brandon. Brandon is um, he's an amazing ambassador for the sport. Brandon, Brandon um, Hendrickson, just for those people. Hendrickson, yeah. yeah. Brandon, sorry, <laughs> Brandon Hendri- Hendrickson. He's uh, he's an amazing ambassador for the sport. Level-headed, um, even the the um, 
the former uh, Mr. O, what was his name? Uh, Raymond. Really awesome dude, you know, yeah. like great physiques and everything. I think, you know, those those looks are actually really good in comparison yeah. to where they were first started, right? right? So again, it's that evolution. It's right. a natural process that has to happen, right? And I feel like, yes, they're going in the right direction. Uh, men's physique uh, athletes also put in work like, like that, like you said, it's not, it's not a knock on anyone, you know, it's just, it's more structural at, the, at this point than it is anything else, you know, mm-hmm. like genetically, maybe they don't have as much legs as the classic guys. It doesn't take away from the fact that they died their asses off to get to where they need to be, to be top competitors in that division. Right. You know, so I respect like hugely, hugely, hugely respect the men's physique, um, division just as much as i respect the classic physique the division the classic physique um on the other hand i think this year for me was i became i became a huge c-bomb fan this year you know <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. because i saw i saw again changes that one constant thing that i i i, I celebrate you know change for the better that is you know, I saw him win it in 2019. I was like, eh, there were question marks about that. Oh, no, yeah, I agree. Right? Yeah, I agree. There were question marks about that. But when he came through this time, there was True. no question about it. True. It was yes. just yeah. night and day. His back went from this to what it was. I said, nah, bro, nah, you brought it. And he wasn't <laughs> even talking too much about it. No, he wasn't. It was no, he. I mean, it was. You're right. No, it was. It's it's tremendous. I, I I'm a big. I will. I mean, I'm a big Breon fan. I can't help it. Mm-hmm. Just love Breon. Um, I've met, talked to Breon a couple of times. Um, he's been on my machine and worked out uh, train calves yeah. up in Columbus a couple of years ago. Um, yeah. you know, he he he's got a, such a bouncy sort of attitude and attitude, just like, yeah. Just like just like this R and B singer kind of feel like a like almost like a. Like a like I said, like his personality is almost like a James Brown song. Like mm-hmm. I, you know, what I mean? obviously nothing like James Brown the person, but like his personality is like that. That kind of like that it's that energetic that comes to your mind. Yeah, and so like <laughs> I feel he, good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that is that is him, like a hundred percent. And so you can't help but like like that attitude. And he's got a tremendous physique as as well. I mean, yeah, so very, does Terrence, so very. does Terrence Ruffin. Yep who, yep. who trains at MI40 where I train at um, occasionally. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so I know Terrence and they're both tremendous guys, but yeah, you're right. I mean, Chris came in this year, just lights out. There was, it was lights it was, out. Didn't say nothing. It was indisputed. Yeah, absolutely. You um, know, yeah. and um, you know, it's just, I, I, I have a, I have a, one of my really, really close uh, friends, um, Ricky, Ricky Moten, um he was also yeah he was also at the olympia too i think yeah. came seventh tremendous. amazing athlete you know, yeah. tremendous bro like so i see these kind of physiques and i'm like okay yeah we're heading in the right direction right. you know right. it's like i don't think we're regressing in any way and it just for me it just makes me want to step my game up you know like okay i'm looking at these guys and i'm like all right so this is what i need to do right all right cool bet let's go you know so i don't feel like i don't feel I, in any way comfortable as long as the sports as long as long as long as the sport and the division keeps going in the way that it is i'm not going to feel comfortable to just sit my ass and just not do anything mm-hmm. you know and just right. think oh i'm just going to walk into any show and just breeze everyone not if it keeps going in this in this trajectory then that means i have to step my game up 
you know, and be as competitive as possible. So I'm, hey, I'm not doing men's physique anymore. That's it for me because I want, you know, at this point, I'm going to grow my legs even bigger. Right. <laughs> and if I keep growing them, I'm not going to fit into a board short. So, <laughs> so at this point, I think the only thing I can do is just uh, stick to classic physique. Uh, I'm excited to see your physique 100% classic. All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna get into some some more personal, some more tough questions here, so we can yeah. kind of draw some more out of you. So I, I want you to talk a little bit about um, coming to America. Obviously, you know now you know racism is a big question, and it's like you know the highlight, uh, and it's something we gotta just bring up and talk about, in especially for Black History Month, I think. And, and obviously, like, racism has been there since the beginning of time, right? I mean, like I said yeah. before, my last yeah. episode, I'm like, you know, you had. You know, you had the Africans that enslaved the Jews in the Egyptian yeah. time period. You had, mm-hmm. you know, Genghis Khan and the Asians who enslaved and took over half of, you know, almost half of Europe at one point. You know, the mm. Romans um, were also, you know, a very um, racist, you know, group of people and only kind of kept it to themselves. And then, you know, and then also, you know, America has a terrible history in the past of, of dealing with racism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where, where in your story did you, when you came to America, what did you experience uh, racism wise and how did you handle it? Ah, good question. Uh, funny thing is I really, I really, really didn't understand, understand how it could affect me personally. Again, mm-hmm. coming from a totally different culture, different continent. Right. I, 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 I immerse where myself most people in look like culture. you. Like that's what people exactly. Like. You exactly. come from also where most people like look look like, like me. Right. So it's like it's a it's a mono it's a mono population, so to speak, right? Right. right, right. Versus over here, it's a diverse population. Hundred percent. So I come over here, and you know, I'm still I'm still within that Nigerian community around you know the yeah. Houston the right, Houston right. area. So I'm not really I'm still in that bubble a little right. bit in that bubble because I'm not. You know, consciously, I'm still living in that little bubble because I, I surround myself with people who look like me. And then I'm looking outside the bubble. I can see, you know, I can, I can hear I can hear screams and whispers of people being discriminated against. And it really didn't hit me at that point. Oh, yeah. uh, so I, um, I went to a historically black college in uh, HBCU, okay. uh, Prairie View A&M University. Shout out to my uh, Panthers. And... You know, at that point, I really immersed myself in the black culture. I see. You know, to try to understand what it is that you know goes through the mind of an of an average African American, yeah. why the the program or why they're wired the way they are. Right. And my it was an eye opener for me at that point. You know, uh, my friends and everything. Again, people who look like me. It kind of it kind of gave me a soft landing you know, into, into the system. Now, when I got into the system full time was when I got into corporate America. Now that was the point where I thought everything was all good, you know, graduated with a 3.9 GPA, 3.98 GPA. Like everybody's going to see how smart I am. Like, (laughs) you know, like everybody's going to love me. I'm going to just go into corporate America and just like dominate them. Right. Nah. Nah, didn't happen. Because again, at that point, it was the the racism at that point was more covert. You know, it was more they 
they would not they would not come out to say it, but they definitely like you you be in you be in an office where there's only four people that look like you. An office of about 300, 400 people, right? Wow. It's like in my well, in my own little area, there were like three, four people that looked like me. Wow. Right. Okay. And then maybe an audit, there were like five, six, seven, eight. And everybody else was just not like, like me. And I'm like, okay, what's going on here? But anyways, I started seeing things like that when yeah, I never had a bad review, right? I never, ever had a bad, bad review in any assignment that I, I took on. But I just wasn't getting picked to do work. I see. Right? And I had to stay billable, right? I had to somehow, some way, you know, be of value to the company. And I'm over there sending messages to my managers, like I'm saying, hey, I'm here, you know, like, give me work. Such a point where I'd even go outside of Texas to go find work, you know, by myself. And I'm like, you, you're not looking out for me. You're not saying much, but I'm seeing people who came after me who don't even have close to what kind of resume that I had. Right. You know, getting work. You know, they put, they, they're in a circle, they're getting work and I'm not getting work. And I'm like, wait, come on, man. Like, what's going on here? I've right. never had a bad review. Like, I, I get along fine with everybody else. And it probably Why people am I who not are doing picked? worse than you are sometimes getting picked or been getting picked and i'm like wait what's going on and so for me it was really really heartbreaking right because at least you know show it to me let me know that you don't value me as either uh, uh, a worker or a person show it to me don't just you know act like oh it's all good and everything smile in my face and then go right back and so when that when that ended, uh, that when that um, journey in corporate America ended, it left a very bitter taste in my mouth, and kind of just made me feel I I I, I just I don't know I figured I'm not going to have to subject I don't want to subject myself to that anymore, right? And it kind of led me down this path where, you know, I wanted to be around things that I could control more so instead of you know putting myself out there and. You know, allowing, allowing racist or discriminatory behaviors get to me. Right. You know, so you, you picked you pick the right sport, man. Because I always say in bodybuilding, <laughs> we're all this, we're all the same color on the end. Right? I know, I know. Yeah, <laughs> we all get. I say we all get tan. <laughs> yeah, <it's weird. laughs> yeah so, so I talk about that all the time. Like people don't understand. What I'm saying like, no, I'm like you, you don't understand. Like I, I literally, I'm like I'm the color of like you know mahogany when I compete. I'm like, it's not even a joke. People always joke. Yeah. They always say I, I change ethnicities uh, when I do the show. <laughs> Yeah, um, man. I mean, now I, you know, if, you know, one thing I, you know, I, I, what I can sort of say, and here's one thing is I think people like some people like listen to that and they think they have no connection, no, no way to sympathize with what you just talked about. But here, I think that's when people don't look into their lives deep enough because I know for one, growing up and wanting to be, you know, getting into this field and wanting to be someone who's like, a leader in like the health and wellness industry and a leader and like someone who like, I mean, I've devoted my life to research, to studying, to, but I never got a medical degree. And I never have, a, I don't have a medical degree. And I just remember when I first started 
I lost so many clients and opportunities and to people who all they had was a piece of paper. And just because I didn't have that piece of paper, they were skipping on me, even though I knew way more than these people they were going to. And I had, mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. could have helped them out of situations way better than any of these people they were going to. They were more willing to listen to them because they had that piece of paper. I did. Piece of paper. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I, so I can totally sympathize with the feeling of just feeling like, you know, you're thinking you're doing like the best you can, you're trying all this, but it's because you just don't have that one thing that they're looking for. They're just going to choose that over you. And I think that's what people yep. need to start looking at in their daily lives. When we're, when we're looking at racism, I think, I think it's a lot easier to sympathize and understand with situations than people think it really is. Because I think you can look at things in your own personal life and be like, wow, you know, this, this affected me in a way. And so I can see why that, this situation, I can see why it affected him this way, because I know what this thing made me feel like. And then you can kind of look at that and, and have that perception because I think people just go, ah, you know, I don't, I don't have that perception. I don't see it. So therefore, you know, I'm just going to kind of push it out of my view. Right. So, I mean, that's why I think it's so awesome to have people like you and my friend who I had last on my last week on my podcast, to talk about those things and bring those things to light. Like people who are, who are genuinely great people. Right. And you know, like when I talk to you, I know that you're an honest person. I know that you're, you know, a solid, a solid guy, because like in every culture in every industry and in every, you know, group of people, there's always going to be bad people, no matter if, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. there's been, there's been bad people that have dealt with racism, you know, in their sure. life, but they've also done bad things on their end as well. And that kind of, I think, takes away sometimes the, you know, sort of, it's like almost like, you know, with this situation, we'll talk about sports here in a minute, but like a situation with Tyron Matthew and, and Tom Brady, mm. I'm not sure that you were aware about that. But like, it's like Tyron Matthews got mad and said that Tom Brady said some things to him on the field that he would not repeat because it's just too offensive. So what does everybody think that Tom says? And when Tyron Matthews says this, everyone assumes Tom says, you know, what everybody else is thinking. When in reality, there were, you know, Michael Irvin, who was a wide receiver in the NFL, listened to the audio of what was going on in the field because they were all mic'd up. And he came out and said, he's like, I just want to make sure that people understand, like, he did not use any racial slurs. And he's like, I don't like the fact that Tyron Matthew said those words exactly because it makes it sound like Tom was saying that he's, it's almost like the boy mm-hmm. who cried wolf, right? He's like, wolf, yeah, there, yeah. There's, there's like, there is these wolves out there who do these things, but now you're taking away the seriousness from the actual, from the actual problem. Yes, yes, yes. So like, you know, it's like you guys, and, and so he was really upset with how Tyron Matthew handled And I think that that's, somehow how we get this split in understanding, this split in perception. And that's why I think it's so great to have you on this <sighs> podcast and me and you talking about these situations and talking about these uh, things because, you know, it brings people where and they, and they kind of listen, they listen to you and then they say, and they listen to my last guy, Ray, and they go, ah, oh, you know what? I, I feel that. I get that. I understand where he's coming from. And, it, and then it kind of opens their eyes up and they say, you know, like, I, I, I've seen that more than just one time. I've seen that in other areas. And I need oh, to be yeah. aware of that. Aware of it, yeah. yeah so. I, think, I think that's one of the biggest things. Like, we just have to be more aware, like you say, uh, you know, of other people. Like, how other people feel. Uh, I think that's one thing that's there's, there's very lost in us as a generation, oh, just, yeah. as a people, you know? Yeah. It's like, okay, just me, 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 me. You're not even know. trying to see how other people feel. You know, like, I, I, I just, you know, I spoke about things that happened to me directly. There's so much more to it. But, oh, yeah, do you, yeah. you know, but 
I've also seen things that have happened to other people. And I'm like, bro, this is not right. You know, I don't want to treat people like this. Why should anyone, you know, be subjected to, you know, discrimination just based on things they can't control? Right. You know, um, it, it, it's sad because the, 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 the bad thing about it is people just, some people just don't want to put themselves in those shoes. To think, okay, you know what, this is, you know, this is why, you know, people are thinking or reacting in a certain way, you know, Um, this is why people don't have trust for certain people, you know, it it has such a huge ripple effect, right, you know, has such huge ripple effects, like, I I don't know, man, I just wish people would be more um, empathic towards like other people. Yeah. You know, like treat people the way you want to be treated. 100%. That's my, that's, that's my mentality, you know, um, in everything I do. If right. I, I, I know I don't want to be treated like shit. So I don't treat people like shit. Right. You know, I don't treat people like shit. And that's in, in a lot of ways has a lot of people attracted to me, you know, and the way that I train, the way that I do my business, carry, go around my day. I don't, one, I don't want people treating me like shit. So I don't like doing it to other people. Right. You know, so I, I just wish, I just wish that we as a people would all have that kind of mindset right. and be more aware when we're doing stuff like that. Cause I'm not perfect. 100%. Right. I'm going to say this. I'm not perfect. But um, when I, when I find myself doing it, I try to rein myself in and be like, okay, you know what? Right. Do better. Yeah. Just do better. That that there's two words. Do better. Yeah. Knowing when realizing when you're wrong and knowing when to apologize for things too is you know that's huge. It's what makes a, a you know people stand out as different individuals mm-hmm. and and, and mm-hmm. try, that's the difference between a good person I think and just a person that um yeah I don't want to use the word a bad person because I mean it's so dogmatic uh, language mm-hmm. but I mean I guess yeah it's kind of like what we kind of see it as but. I want to I want to get into this fact because you mentioned that you brought up a very good point. Um, you talked about the fact that coming from Africa, the black culture there is very different than the black culture in the United States. And obviously, mm-hmm. my last guest that I had on last week, we talked about him growing up in Detroit. And one of the things was we both talked about the, the fact of like his culture and, and and what his perception was of things is extremely different than where his ancestors came from in Africa. Right. Mm, so, mm-hmm. so I want you to talk about what was the differences, the main differences that you saw uh, when you're coming from your culture, where you're born, where you live for 22 years, and all of a sudden you come over here, the people that look like you, their culture is way different than the people that looked like you from where you came from. You know what I mean? So talk about those differences and, and kind of how that molded you. So, or, yeah. So imagine, imagine, being disconnected from a plug, right? From a from a source, a plug disconnect, disconnected from a source. Um, I lived in the source <laughs> for that many uh, that that amount of time that I did, and then I came over here, and now I was I, I became the plug that was disconnected from the source. Or I, I started seeing the plug that was disconnected from the source because I never really lost my, I've never really lost my, um, my identity as uh, an African. <coughs> Excuse me, but um, 
Now, um, I, I'll say I'm more aware now that there are people who are actually unplugged from the source. And that is the African-Americans that I came over here to meet, right? The, the biggest thing is the cultural difference in itself, right? As Black people, like, okay, say the language, for instance, right? I come over here, yeah, I come over here and all of a sudden I speak two other fluent, I speak um, two other Nigerian languages very fluently, right? With those languages comes richness and culture, right? I am plugged to, the, to those, to those, um, to those uh, cultures, right? I know what certain things mean and all of that, and I can relate to them personally. And then I come over here and I see someone who looks like me, and as soon as he opens his mouth, he sounds different. And I'm like, oh, okay. I have to kind of put everything I know in the back burner to kind of understand who I am. I'm speaking with, you know, right. and see where that person is coming from. And that person is looking at me like, yo, I've been, you know, I've, all my life, this is all I've known. I don't understand where you're coming from with what you're saying. Right. So there's a huge disconnect. There's a very huge disconnect in, okay, Africans coming from, you know, from, from Africa and African-Americans over here, because yeah, we look alike, but we don't think alike, right? We don't necessarily think alike. We do, we do experience the same things, you know. We do have the same uh, limitations just by the sheer color of our skin, you know. But again, this, within within that context of being black, there's a huge disconnect, right? right. <laughs> you know, and over time, as you as you start to interact with one another, you know, you start to see how things change, right. you know, you start to see how, okay, even, even though we're different, we're still the same, right? You start seeing those things and it starts occurring to you that there's really not much differences. It's just the fact that one of us was taken away from the source and has long adapted to a different culture versus somebody who just came from the source and is still plugged into the source and right, has not right. adapted to a different culture. That's a great way. That's a great way of explaining it. And that has to be, I mean, it's gotta be a huge, a huge shock. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. to you, especially, um, uh, you know, I, I can't imagine. I mean, people, people like people probably don't think about it, but like, you know, if you go over to another country, let's say you go over to the middle East and you know, you're just like an American, all you've ever known is growing up in florida or texas or wherever all of a sudden you grow you go over to the middle east and you're like whoa if you if you were decided to move to a country like it, your whole world is turned upside down mm -hmm. and you may even find some people that look like you but they don't act anything like you and like so you. i think yep. for people to i want people to think about what that would be like and uh, so to kind of understand like where uh, where Mars coming from um, a little bit, and I think you can be able to because like obviously when you go to another country, where is the place that you feel the most safe if you go to another country? The U.S. Embassy, right? Because that's where everyone speaks your language. The but like if you're going over to a country to live in another country, even me like being like half Italian, like if I go over to Italy, 
I mean, like that, that'd be a huge culture shock to me. Right. Same mm-hmm. thing if like an Italian came over here to the United States, like they, they're, they're going to be blown away. So, I mean, I, I totally get, I think it's a great way of explaining um, that situation. I, I want to kind of get into a tough question right here. Um, I want to yeah. talk about, and you're from Texas. So this kind yeah. of, I feel like it's going to hit home for you a little bit. Obviously uh, Mark Cuban, uh, Shark Tank billionaire, um, <laughs> owns Dallas Mavericks and they decided recently that they were no longer, or he said previously, he's like, we decided, you know, before the season started, and I guess they hadn't been doing it, but they said that we're, we're, gonna, we're not going to play the national anthem. And so I want to read a, and I, and I pulled this up and to make sure I got the exact words right, but um, I want to read a quote from uh, Hall of Famer um, Shannon Sharp tight end for the Denver Broncos and the Mm -hmm. Baltimore Ravens. I'm sure you know Shannon. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, he's a big, big figure in the African-American community over here. I mean, he's, he's, he's got a a large voice, a large population of people that really follow him. I want to read a quote from him and I I want you to tell me your thoughts of what he said. And um, I I, I just want you to tell me not maybe not if you even if, if you agree or disagree, but, but just tell me if you don't agree, maybe tell me how you would have said it differently or how you would change uh-huh. this or what you would do. So I'm gonna read the quote and then we'll, we'll get into it. So Shannon said, I don't have a problem with Mark Cuban or any franchise for that matter, not playing the national anthem. Flying the flag over your house doesn't make you a patriot. We need to get away from symbols representing patriotism drinking budweiser doesn't make you a patriot (laughs) capital doesn't make you a patriot we have to stop with this notion that gestures and symbols are a sign of patriotism and the national anthem is no different actions and deeds make you a patriot sporting events will be just fine without it what's your thoughts I, I, I honestly think I'm 100% with him on that one. Okay. I'm 100% with him on that one because, There's again, some things I agree with him about on there for sure. I mean, actions yeah, I, and I, deeds I, for sure, yeah. Actions and deeds, right? So, again, yeah. I, I, think, I think with the, with the national anthem, the flag, and everything, a lot of people, in which I was I, – I, hey, I in was military. in the military. Yeah, so I, I, I subjected myself to – to, uh, to defending the flag and all that, right? Yeah. Again, remember, this is a free country to do certain things, right? Right. I feel like, okay. I, f- I feel like a lot of times people have attached a certain, a certain level of say, hey, um, if you're not doing this, uh, if a certain level of um, importance to, well, I wouldn't use the word importance, but just they would discriminate against you based on their own beliefs, right? I'll give you an example. The flag, right? You're not supposed to use it as, you know, say a towel or wrap it around you and all of that good stuff. But you have a lot of people who we go to these sporting events and everything. They have it as, you know, um, towels. They have it as the flag, that is. They turn it into other things other than what it was supposed to be. Mm. And these are the same people who say, who attach the word patriotism, 
right? It would attach your patriotism to the flag. Well, if you were that patriotic, you would not be doing that to the flag in the first place. Cool. Good, good point. Good point. You see what I'm saying? So you would not be doing that. To, you would not disrespect the flag like that in the first place. So again, again, you kind of have to see, you believe in the flag. You, we all do, right? But what are the things you attach to it? And are you practicing what you're preaching in that regard, right? Um, again, with the whole Colin Kaepernick thing, and I, I remember I had that conversation with Justin, my boy, you know, yeah. I said, hey, you know, I honestly, he, what he did, what what Colin did, was actually suggested to him by a former sim. Yeah, 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 I know that. That was weird. Right, and I'm like, okay, literally, this is these are the things that we fought for, right? These are the things that the military stands for, mm -hmm. and I'm like, okay, you have to see it from this perspective. He's not, he's not. It's not a disrespect on the flag. This is more so, hey, there are issues that need to be addressed that we're not talking about. You want us to shut up and play the game, but you're not addressing the issues that are choking my neck. How can I play a game when my neck is in a chokehold? Right. You know, like how can I how can I en entertain you when I can't breathe? And so I'm trying to draw attention to these issues, but you're not listening. Like somebody had said, shut up, just shut up and dribble. No. Yeah. <laughs> You know, that's not what this is about. Right. Now, if, if you don't if you don't want to talk about these things, then hey, that means you're not you're not plugging into the fundamentals of America being what it is, freedom right. for all. Okay. Right? You're not plugging into it. So you can't pick and choose and say, well, this is a free country, this is that or that, and then turn your ear away from issues that might be affecting somebody else. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So again, yeah. again, like the sport by itself will be fine. A lot of a lot of times we want to politicize sports. I don't yeah. believe in that in any way. Right, right. right. You know, yeah. Because that's a that's a common theme. That's something that brings us all together. Right. Right. If we start bringing politics into it, guess what happens? We will start butting heads. At that point, that's when that person the remembers. One thing that unifies us. Yeah. Exactly. You know, so it's like, I think in that regard, Mark Cuban is like, okay, you know what? I'm just, I don't want, if, if we can't do this peacefully, then let's not bring this in. Yeah, that's good. If we're having, if we're having that conversation, if we're having that conversation and we can have that conversation peacefully, I think mm -hmm. in the way that the whole Colin Kaepernick thing was handled, people lost, some people had lost confidence in how we as a nation can handle such political talk around the sport and arena. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. So no, I agree, at that yeah. point, yeah, at that point it just makes it kind of difficult. So you just want to kind of. I think I'm. I and I'm, I'm. This is my thought. Yeah, that Mark Cuban probably just wanted to take away that. Right. You're, that you're, what you, you call you're it. You're saying you don't know for sure. You're, you're guessing that it could be one of the reasons. I'm guessing it's one right, of the reasons. Right. Yeah, like he just wanted to take that factor away and say, hey, you know what? If it's the game, let's just focus on the game and leave the politics elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, because I, I think it's a very, very sensitive topic. You know, politics is it's yeah. hugely, hugely sensitive. If you start bringing it into something that we all enjoy. Mm. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Because Colin Kaepernick did it. Right. Right. 
he he brought it in and he said, hey, and people didn't like it. Obviously, they took huge offense to it because they couldn't really see past the fact that he was trying to raise awareness towards something that was really, really bothering the black community or people of color, you know? So if they couldn't handle that, then, hey, maybe we should just not talk about it, period. I I think for him, I think there could have probably been a better candidate. I think he has, he personally has some character flaws that uh, sort of Mm -hmm. kind of discredited him later down the line with how he was... Mm -hmm dealing with the financial side of it and kind of how he was almost kind of sort of taking advantage of it at one point. Yeah. And I think there was a lot of, there was a lot of people in the black community who were kind of disappointed in the way that he was kind of developing on this story of like, okay, yeah, we know you you don't play for the NFL anymore, but like you're taking this to like a level, like this wasn't supposed to be about you. I just want you to remember Colin, this wasn't supposed to be about you. You did this to to help us, you know, to help all of us. This isn't, it's not Mm -hmm. supposed to be about you. So just keep, you know, keep that in mind. So I think there could have been possibly maybe some better candidates, you know, down the line. You know, I think, you know, probably, you know, LeBron James probably could have been a better candidate. There's some people out there who 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 really take those things seriously. And it's hard to say. I mean, I can't, you know, it's hard. You can't take things back. Um, you know, it is what it is now. But um, here's here's my thoughts. I, I think you'll agree with what I'm about to say, um, Preet. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at, I don't know how many Olympic events you've ever watched. But if you look at all of them, pretty much, if you look at the people on the podiums, right, Mm -hmm. they always play the national anthem of whoever places first, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, If you look at the way that the other countries react when they play their national anthem compared to how the United States athletes react when they play their national anthem when they're on the winner's podium, I've always noticed it is like a it is a complete difference the other countries like they are almost brought to tears when they hear their national anthem because it's almost like there's like this there is like a more form of like a patriotic nationalism in other countries that i just don't think america has and i don't think it's ever had it and i just think that there is like this thing of like a lot of people who think they're diehard american they bleed red white and blue like you said they do a lot of things that almost make them not patriotic. And yeah. I, I, I think that there's like almost like, I think it's almost the thing is that there's a lack of culture here that sort of represents um, a strong patriotic belief is like what are a lot of people's ideas here of patriotism are very skewed because they think patriotism means this or that. When if you go to another country and you ask them what their country means to them, it is like, they're, they're, they like, they would, just an average person walking on the street would die for their country mm, most of mm. the time. When you go to like these countries that have these civilizations that have been around much longer than the United States, especially, I mean, you see this a lot in the Middle Eastern countries. I mean, like if you look at the Middle Eastern bodybuilders, when they come back to their country, they're like, I mean, it doesn't, they could place in the top five of the Mr. Olympic. They don't have to win. And I mean, you saw what happened when uh, Rami came back into the airport. I mean, it was like, you know, and he's currently the Mr. Olympia for those of you who don't know, he won this past year. I mean, it was like a celebration of just all time greatness. And I totally believe that if they had a football team or if they had a, you know, if they had a basketball team and, and their basketball team wins a championship, it's not just going to be one city, right? Like, I mean, when Tampa wins, you know, the Super Bowl, you know, like everybody else hates on them. And then Tampa just kind of goes nuts and that's the end of it, right? 
And where it's <laughs> like, you know, if you, if like the United States basketball team goes to the Olympics and just kicks everybody's ass in the Olympics, they come back to the United States. Like, I mean, they're like, okay, you know, time to get back to your job, time to go back and play in the NBA. Like there, there is no like celebration of like these like patriotic decisions. There's nothing that brings us truly together as like this as symbol of patriotism that, that I feel is like this unifying force because even when people do these amazing things, it's like, we, we almost like it's, we discredit it, right? Like we like look past it and we're like, and that's one thing that always irritated me about being in this sport is like, it's like, if you don't do something that somebody else sees as amazing, like they're just, I mean, it's whatever, you know what I mean? Like they don't really care. They're more focused on themselves, how much money they're Mm -hmm. making, what, you know, what they're driving, all that kind of stuff. In other Fact. countries, it's like it's like when their person comes back to their country after winning an event. I, I mean, like the Mr. Olympia. I mean, it's like they are like astounded. They would they they want that person to feel special, and that's just something I feel like we don't really have over here. And I feel like that's caused a lot of that's bit, one of the things that's made a, a large issue here is like if you move to another country, like I said before, if you're mm-hmm. in the United States and you move to another you you would eventually just become a part of that culture. You might always mm-hmm. have a piece of where you were back home, but eventually you, you, you would be it. forced, you'd be forced into kind of accepting and being mm-hmm. proud of that culture that's accepted you. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I think that that's a huge difference in, in, in other countries, not, 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 not all countries. I mean, there's obviously, I mean, Canada and Australia, they're very like, you know, all, England, they're very all, you know, ultra modernized sort of they're kind of they're very similar to the u.s they try to copy a lot of mm-hmm. things the united states does um you know so but i mean these small countries that don't really have a lot are sometimes the most prideful of what they do have and i think almost like we almost over here have too much that we've lost that acceptance and the and the gratitude of what we do have and that's oh. what I try to bring back into people and try to, you know, even when I'm coaching them, like, I'm like, even when I'm working with somebody from the physique point, mm. don't, don't think about what you don't have. Think about what you do have right now and be proud of what you're doing. Of what you're doing. Yeah. I totally agree with that point. I think, I think you've made some amazing, amazing, amazing points. Excuse me. Um, being able to celebrate the little things yeah, you know, coming from where I'm from, like, bro, we win the nation's cup. It's just like, you know, tournament of um, African nations and everything. If Nigeria wins it, oh my god, it's just like everybody goes yeah, nuts. Everybody goes nuts. Yeah, right. You win, you win a gold medal at, at the Olympics, soccer. Everybody goes nuts. You know, it's just it's just yeah. like everybody, everyone comes. I remember the one uh, lady who uh, was the first woman to win a gold medal the first Nigerian woman to win a gold medal, the way she was celebrated, you know, was just out of this world. And, you know, and then the, the soccer team went ahead and won the, won the um, gold medal at the uh, Atlanta 96 uh, tournament, Olympic tournament um, that year. And it was just, I remember how celebratory it was, but you also have to remember over here, most of the people who represent us are, you know, people of color in certain sports mm-hmm. too, right, right. you know? And I feel like when that, ha- when, when they win, they try to use that as a vehicle to bear their grudges and say, Hey, look, 
yeah, we're doing this for the country. Yeah, we're putting ourselves out here to make the country look great. But listen to us. Like you remember, I think it was, I can't remember what Olympic that was, but where these guys were uh, on the podium and they were, you know, they were doing signs like just, I think first and second were Americans, but they were doing signs to say, hey, look, you know, we're going through stuff. We, yes, we're representing the U.S., but we're going through stuff, you know, and that was the lasting image. And the Australian guy who came third also, you know, did the same with them. You know, um, I want to say it was seven to six. I'm not sure what Olympics that was. But, you know, it, it was a statement for them. They used those opportunities to make a statement, I think. I believe it was the Olympics. I'm not 100% sure, but but I'm pretty sure it was the Olympics after World War II. So said, okay, yeah, the I guess one, so. The one, the one that was after the one that yeah. was, um, or yeah, the one that was after the one that was um, hosted in Germany, um, there was uh, after the one after that. Um, there was a, uh, there was that, that. I believe that was the Olympics. Uh, where yeah. The the, uh, the fist to the sky. That's where the. Yeah, the, yeah. I think that was it. The, the black power fist. Where the, the black power fist. fist. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It has the fist in the air with the fire around it. Yes. Yeah. I, I think a lot of times it's they they use that. Okay, now we have your attention, so we need to use that to to project. You know the things that we're going through. Yes, we're proud of our. You know whatever we've done. And then we back home, some of us back home see it and we can relate to it. Some of us back home see it and we're like, why are you doing that? And so they immediately turned off, you know, they immediately turned off. And then it kind of goes back to, you know, how we say, how we're talking about empathizing with people Mm -hmm. and their struggles, you know, you know, so because you can't really relate to that, you immediately get turned off to the fact that they did something. You know, as a people, I, I've, I've, I've come to find that there is not much community. We don't believe in the whole concept of community right. as Americans. It's us and us and us. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm, I'm for me. I've, I'm doing for me, which is great, you know. Right. But right. again, we're not, thinking, we're not thinking about the next guy, mm-hmm. you know. So there's not that that whole concept of community is not very present. And so that also kind of, in a way, plugs into the whole idea of true patriotism. Yeah. Right? So because if we're lacking in that regard, then the whole concept of being true patriots is missing. Because now a true patriot is looking out for not just uh, himself, but other Americans. You know, be it red, black, or white, right. they don't Every, care. Everybody. Yeah. everybody, they're looking out for everyone, not just people who look like them. Right. You know, so it's a complicated issue, man. Yeah. And I just wish we could, like I always say, if we can start in our own backyards and do better as people, it will, it will, it will transcend places that you can't imagine. But we have to, like like bodybuilding, we have to be aware. Like in bodybuilding, when we're aware of the muscle being trained, we always have to be aware of people and the way they feel. Mm. You know, people and the way that, you know, the things that they're going through, you also, we have to be aware of that as Americans in order for us to truly, truly, you know, foster that whole idea of patriotism. Yeah. You know, 
I want to move on. The, the, we made some, you know, we made some really great points. Um, and I, I feel like that's some really great things for people to think about too. Um, uh, so I want to move on to some fun questions now for the end. Uh, get away from all the seriousness. <laughs> let's let's move on to some fun things. Um, stir stir up a little bit of stir up a little bit of controversy in the sports world too. While we're at it, so, <laughs> there we go. So I want to know who are your top five bodybuilders of all time? Easy, easy. Okay, Ronnie Coleman. Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Ronnie's number one. Are we listening one to five, or are we just in out of order? <laughs> out of order, just okay. okay. I, I want to say top two for sure will be Ronnie and Arnold. Okay, top two, Ronnie and okay. Arnold. Um, a lot of people might not agree with me, but Sean Roden. Okay, okay, love, love Sean Roden. Love that his physique is just out of this world. Oh yeah, it is for sure. Um, let me see. Well, it's not that easy now that I think about it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got stuck at three. I got stuck at three. Uh, yeah, Sean Roden. Let me see who else. Who else am I missing out? Who else am I missing out? Put Dexter, Dexter in there. You got to put Dexter. In there. Dexter, Dexter's in there. Dexter's definitely in there. And who's in that fifth spot? That's that's the question. Because you're missing, you got a lot of you got a lot of great names right there. Man, 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 this is a tough Jay, one, man. Jay Cutler, Phil Heath, Dorian Yates, um, uh, Lee Haney, uh, Flex Wheeler, Kevin Lavrone, Sean Ray. I say Flex. I say Flex Wheeler. Flex Wheeler. Okay. Okay. I say Flex Wheeler. Right. I say like for me, it's all about symmetry. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm huge in symmetry. Yeah, Ronnie is like, a different beast Flex, altogether. Flex Wheeler, but... like in his in his early career, just so people. Like, Jesus it, Christ! Like, in his early career, not 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 when he kind of ruined his physique, like later down the line. But like Flex Wheeler in his in his like when when he won the 1995 Arnold, I think it was. Was that was that was I think it was. What it, I think it was um, that one. Yeah. 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 He oh was my like days. he was like only like 215 pounds. Like people don't know he was only like 215 pounds. And like look unbelievable Unbelievable. symmetry symmetry that's like this this sport and that's why i have sean roden in that list yeah like when i saw him in 2018 you know what yeah i like dexter but out of respect out of respect for the sport and everything i have to kind of put prime phil heath in that in that list okay all right i'll take i'll take dexter out and put put prime phil heath put phil yeah yeah, Phil in his prime. Because right. again, Phil was complete until oh, he started yeah. losing it. Right. Until he started yeah. losing it and stuff. 2010 Arnold Classic. Oh my is God. One of the craziest looks I think you'll ever see from a bodybuilder. Yeah. I mean, like that is people, people always look at his Mr. Olympia wins starting in 2009. Mm-hmm. 2011, he had a great physique, but 2010 Arnold Classic is like, if you looked it up on YouTube, Type in oh my God. 2010 Arnold, and you will see like Prime. Most, some of the most insane lines Prime. Prime. you've ever seen in your life. Prime. Um, so, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. moving on. Now, we got a controversial question. <laughs> Who, whose career would you rather have, Dexter Jackson or Ronnie Coleman? Ah. Hmm. <laughs> 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 uh, uh. Dexter. 
Dexter. Dexter. Okay. Okay. Dexter. Okay. I say that because I say that because I'm a late bloomer in the game. Okay. I, I, I've, uh, I want to, I want to at least be able to do more in the amount of time that I have left in the sport, right. considering right. the fact that I came in later in the game. Mm-hmm. All right. If I come in, say in my twenties, then I'd have said Ronnie. Obviously, mm-hmm. not. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I wouldn't want to get injured in the process, but yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I think Dexter too is like people just look at the one Olympia win, but it's like it's so much more than that. It's like for somebody to make it to more than twenty Olympias in their career. I mean, like people need to understand it. It is like close to impossible for most people who compete to make it to one Olympia. To make it to twenty is like it's like unheard of no one's ever done that in the history of the sport and and it's not like he even made it to 20 and just kind of like placed here and there like we're talking about a guy who went to 20 olympias and placed within the top five in most of them and won one of them and so i mean like that is like that's huge i mean like and he's got more pro wins than anybody <laughs> will ever have probably i don't think anybody's going to get more than 29 wins i mean it's like i, I would mean, love I would never love, but like it, it's like you know i would love eight i would love eight yeah but realistically uh, yeah man, bro realistically i just won't i want to be long i want to i want that longevity in the game mm-hmm. yeah. to be able to make a name for myself yeah versus you know you know, lightweight baby type stuff. You know, <laughs> but they they asked Dexter uh, <laughs> whose career would he rather have? If he would rather have uh, Ronnie's or uh, or they said, would you rather have Phil Heath's career or your career? And he said, my career. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because um, I mean, Phil's got seven. I mean, it's still incredible. But mm-hmm. 20, 29 pro wins. I mean, it's just you know, it's a lot. That's a, that's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. I mean, you got to respect the game, like. And I remember—I can't remember who that was. Um, Mo, um, one of um, Justin's friend, Alpha Slice. Oh yeah, he, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he he said, um, "Yo, you remind me of Dexter." I said, "Who me?" <laughs> I said, yeah. I-, "I hope that's going from from your lips to God's ears." Because hey, <laughs> I respect the hell out of that guy, man. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if I could have a quarter of that guy's, you know, career, shoot, sign me up. Dexter doesn't like sign me. But me Dexter doesn't like me, but I, I, I respect him. And I, I like him, but so <laughs> that's another story for another time. But he <laughs> <laughs> uh, must have stepped on his toes, man. I, it was, you know, uh, yeah. I'll tell you, we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it at some point. But yeah, it's a, it's a funny story, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I want to know for the last question. I want to know. Okay, who is the most underrated bodybuilder of all time, and who is the most overrated bodybuilder? Oh, oh God, why are you doing this to me? <laughs> I underrated. gotta stir it up somehow, man. This is underrated, underrated, underrated. I feel like. For what he achieved in the sport, he is not talked about enough. Lee Haney. Okay. Yeah. For what he achieved in the sport, eight wins is 
It's a lot. Undefeated, too. He never lost. Undefeated, yeah. Never lost. But he's not talked about enough. You know, and that's like, for me, I think it's, I think it's a travesty. It's a joke that he's not talked about enough. Yeah, he's incredible. For someone that, his physique was just crazy, too. Incredible human being, too. Yeah. Yeah. He's not talked about enough, like on and off, you know, the stage. He's not, he's not celebrated enough, you know? Um, But yeah, overrated. I think that's for me, uh, most underrated. Um, Overrated, I would say. Oh, God. (laughs) Don't condone whoever he chooses. I just want that to be out there. Uh, I'm not saying saying that I agree I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think who, honestly. Mm, mm, mm. Overrated. It's going to come. Just give me a second. (laughs) Mm. Mm, I want to say overrated. Jay, Jay Cutler, Jay Cutler, Jay. Okay. Jay, 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 Jay. And I I respect him for what he did. I respect him for what he (laughs) did. Why did you do that to me? Why did you now people, you people be lighting up this podcast now. It's never, I'm never. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) But honestly, again, I'm all about symmetry. I'm all about symmetry, lines, lines, lines. And that's why I have Sean Roden up in there. Now, I don't take away from what he did, right? I don't take away from what he did. I don't take away from him as a champion, but I just feel like, again, and it's probably not his fault. Maybe the judges, we, they started going for that big waistline and everything. Mm, And I think it took away from the aesthetics of the sport. Yeah, I can see that. Right? I can see that. I think it took away from the aesthetics of the sport. Now, as a mass monster, I think it was amazing. Right. Okay. Right. As a mass monster. Yeah. But for me, my preference being symmetry. Eh. <laughs> I'll put a, I would take a Sean okay. Roden who just had that. He just had that insanely small waist, Oof, okay. you know, and just like the lines are just stupid. Okay. Right. It was, just, I would take that look over that mass monster look. Oh, I'm gonna get cooked for this. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, I'm okay, sorry. I'll, I'll say well, so we're clear. We'll take the heat off of you. Uh, so my my answer was uh, Frank Zane. I said Frank Zane. Oh my god. <laughs> I I said Frank Zane, and I feel like a lot of there's a lot of people out there who agree with me on that situation. He was small. Uh, well, I, I just look at pictures, and I'm just like people you know, talk about him a lot. And I just think the people that really like Frank Zane's physique know nothing about the sport. No, like to, small. Me, to me, he's he like, really when I see a physique like that, like there's men's physique competitors who have not only a bigger upper body, but also bigger legs than Frank Zane. So, I mean, like, I mean, there's no way that Brandon Hendrickson doesn't outsize Frank Zane in like every pose. So oh my God. Like <laughs> I just I, I feel I feel horrible right now because I I'm I, I don't want I don't want people to come for my neck and be like why Jay <laughs> the title the title is the title is gonna be 
who who like hating on bodybuilders from past don't eras. Set, don't, set, don't set me up like that because they're like, yeah. why Jay of all yeah. people? And then they're gonna come for me. And why Marco like, Mezzi hates Jay Cutler? You know exactly. <laughs> no, no, I don't hate him. Yeah, I got, I've got, I'm like, I need to make yeah. that clear for. It's just like for me, it's yeah. just those lines. You're just, just saying, like, in way. your your specific opinion, like you like the more aesthetic, tapered way. Aesthetic ways. look, the, yes. the flow, the flow. You like the flow. The flow, that cla- almost that classic y look. The only mass monster that I have in there will probably be the Ronnie Coleman, or maybe the oh, yeah. even Phil had those lines. Oh, yeah, they did. Phil yeah. had those lines. Yeah, yeah at, at one point. So the game for me, it's 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 those lines. It's those lines, those lines. And uh, oh man, I, I, I don't want to take anything away from. So please, you guys, don't come for me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, go go for Dan, man. Like that Frank Zane. No, go I'll get him. I'll get yeah, I'll get tore up over Frank Zane. And yeah, yeah, we got more uh, you know guys in the, like uh, they're middle aged listening to this anyway. So. They're, they're definitely yeah. the Frank Zane fans. So like they're definitely gonna come for hard. They're like, yo, what do you mean, Frank Zane? He was small. Know, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's he was it small. Is. He wasn't much of a mass monster. I don't know how he it is what it is. Yeah. He pulled it up, but hey. I always said I don't know is. how he, I don't know how he beat Franco. I never got I that situation because like Franco was diced and like was like so, like a like a just like a, a block solid mass. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He would have been a solid 212 competitor for sure. Man. Like, yeah, I mean, like, but then you got to give it to Zane, though. I mean, again, if we like that classic po- posing, look, posing, posing, wise. exactly. He posing was just, wise, frankly, he had a flow to him, yeah. I guess, you know. Oh, man. Would it, would it, would it, would it, would it, I don't know. Would it be okay if I said, I like, I like, I like, <laughs> it's all right. We made a decision. We gotta move on. We gotta move on. It's over with. Yes. Say it, what's been said has been said. I'm dead. <laughs> all right, man. I really appreciate your time today. Um, it's been yeah. awesome speaking with you. We spoke on a lot of good points. Talked about a lot of awesome things, and yeah, it's been an honor having you on the show. So I, I really, really appreciate it. I look forward to doing it again. Yeah, man. Um, it's 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 been it's been an honor honor being on here and you know hearing me out i want to say thank you for this opportunity and for those listening i hope um my story can um inspire someone to uh be better you know do better and just achieve uh the things that they set their minds to you know that's awesome i like that well, that's it, guys, for another episode of the Generation Alpha Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Fazio, here with Mark Omezi signing out. Guys, have an amazing weekend. God bless.